Welcome to the podcast that inspires the American dream through hard work and adventure. Our wide range of guests will give you a unique insight into their crafts, professions, and experiences. So sit back, enjoy, and have a laugh. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Free Range American Podcast. All right, so welcome to another episode of FRA. I'm Evan Hafer. Today, I've got Trevor Thompson. Trevor, if you guys haven't caught Trevor, he's been on Joe Rogan's show. Mm-hmm. He's been part of FRA from literally the beginning, the yeah. start. He's a photographer for Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, he's one of my good buddies. Like, So he's an epic human. Uh, he's got a ton of interesting background. He's going to be part of the the FRA components and, and cast here, if for a lack of a better term, uh, forever as far as I know. So, oh, yeah. The interesting thing I'm running off Trevor is we've known each other for several years. So the thing that we were talking about initially was your family's history yeah, and your family's history specifically. And how far does it go back with the American? And then before that, the, just the military history. Um, and, uh, you know, I, like we were throwing in the joke, like, oh, yeah, is my, is my name foreign? Yeah, yeah Trevor <laughs> yeah, Thompson. Trevor Thompson. Did, I, did I pronounce that right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, haha, funny, because, no, my family's been here a really long time. I think the first family member came over, I want to say 1640. Um, it, oh, actually, we didn't mention this initially, so we have a, a little extra bit of Good. info. Um, he stowed away. So Solid. Yeah, I'm an illegal immigrant. Nice. <laughs> you're, you're Anyways, we got over here in the 1640s, and uh, the family has had time in military service uh, for every single conflict. So I served in the current, and my uncle was in Vietnam. Um, my dad's dad was in World War II. My mom's dad was in Korea. And then we've had family in uh, World War One, the Spanish-American War, both sides of the Civil War. Uh, the Revolutionary War, the winning side, and then uh, also the French and Indian War. So we've had people serve all the way back through before it was the U.S., you know, before it was all the colonies. Right. Um, and it's it was a driving force in me being somebody that wanted to serve during conflict. Um, and it's also part of why I got out. Like, it wasn't something that we did forever. This wasn't right. a career move for me. Um, I enjoyed it, and I'm glad I did it. Um, and you know, some of the things that the family's been able to have historically are, are really cool. Um, like my, my dad's great grandfather on his mom's side, uh, was actually a prisoner in Andersonville in the civil war. And we know that because he survived and he ended up being, I think crippled the rest of his life afterwards because the place was a, a hell. Yeah. Right. Um, and we talked about this earlier, but like, yeah. if you haven't looked it up, just, you know, hit pause for a second and go check out Andersonville civil war. It's shocking. Horrifying. Shocking. Like, yeah, the worst possible conditions, like a shit ton of people died there purely out of neglect. Yep. And so, um, great grandpa, great, great, great grandpa Edgington, he was actually a flag bearer. So he carried a, a union flag. Um, and when he was captured, they, they capture all that shit and he yanked off one of the tassels from the flag, which is wild, you know, to think like he could probably could have been killed for that. Right. Like, why are you trying to keep part of this, this thing that, you know, 
is literally an emblem of your opposition to us. Right. Well, he kept it. And we have a letter describing what that tassel is. And that tassel and a photograph of him and the letter are all framed in my parents' house. And it's incredible to have that piece of history. It's 160-ish years old from an American flag that went through that prison camp that is in the home. Yeah, you, you sent me a picture of that oh, yeah. how long ago, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it's heavy. It's, it's, it's just a heavy. really heavy, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, because when I saw it, I was like, holy shit. It's, yeah. That, the, and the circumstances around Andersonville were so horrific. Just One, extreme. And then to have a piece of that history is truly incredible. And then, you know, dovetailing that with your, your grandfather's mm. personal history. Yeah which is another horrific fucking piece and, I mean, of American history. That, that was another guy. I mean, his, so his granddad fought in the civil war. Um, and, uh, you know, he grew up during the great depression and world war two comes around and he was at Gonzaga. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he probably should have played professional baseball. Like he was that good of a, a ball player. Right. Um, he played with a bunch of the, so they used to do pickup baseball games overseas. Um, I think they've done some like documentaries about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He played with those people. <laughs> like he played pro baseball. Wow. In the war, um, and they asked like, "Oh, why aren't you know you should you should come play?" Um, and on my mom's side, actually, we had somebody play for the Reds. Like, so there is a lot of baseball in the family, right? But instead, no, he was a Marine in the South Pacific in the Sixth Marine Division, and he did seven combat landings, including two in Okinawa, which is insane. Like, totally insane. It's completely insane. I just went back through those or a couple of those books, Helmet for My Pillow, The Old Breed, and it had been several years. Yeah. And I think for me, I have to have that azimuth adjustment, so to speak, to think about and talk, really talk about a re zero. Re, it's, it's re zeroing your azimuth, what's yeah. important, <clears throat> you know how bad do we really have it? You know, there's all these, like, it's a psychological benefit to kind of go back through and read what those guys went through specifically in the South Pacific, because talk about a fucking horrendous task and talk about the conditions of what they were fighting through. And no, incredible. And no, no preparation. Like, no, you know, what was the nearest thing they had was probably guys that served under MacArthur. Mm Mm-hmm that ran from the Philippines. Right. Might have been the closest they had to understanding what kind of conflict they were getting into. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe kind of. They were just learning as they were going. Like, you read stories from Guadalcanal, it's a damn nightmare. It's a... And then talking to my granddad about Okinawa and and Tinian, and it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I know I, I know I know they did the South Pacific. I think HBO they did, did that. Yeah. They did that. It was called the South Pacific or the Pacific. I can't remember. It's called, it called the Pacific. The Pacific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, so I had read the books before. Yeah, the Ambrose books. Yeah, I don't know if they were Ambrose, but there's a couple different authors there, and I had read those books before. Watched the Pacific, and I'm so glad they did it. Yeah. Because. So much of World War II is in the history of World War II has been enveloped with the European theater. Yeah. Uh, and like that's, lo- that's what people see in their heads. Like they yeah. close their eyes, they hear world war two and they, they see like, you know, Dresden on fire or yeah. they see D day. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine like the landings at D day, but you know, 
for two and a half, three years in a row. Right. Every island. Every island. Like, like, and you know, the- hearing stories from my granddad about like, he remembers things like going up a beach and every single person around him, like on a, on a, on a die face. Right. All dead. All dead. All dead. Going up the beach. There's no other way to get up there, you know, or, or landing on a beach and they see a, a naked chicken walking around cause he's got his feather blown off right. by the bombing. Right. It's just wild. And, it, and like for me to tell him that I was going to go be a team guy. Right. You know, he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I guess if you want to be a squid, like whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I told him what I wanted to do and he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He had a little yeah. bit of respect cause he remembered seeing some of those UDT guys. Yeah. He remembered those fucking crazy people <laughs> yeah here's your knife and your swim mask good luck hope we see you later yeah. here's uh, cover yourself in uh grease <laughs> yeah. it's gonna protect you from you'll, the cold fucking water you'll what? be okay wear yeah, these you, shorts but <laughs> that kind of family background is um it's not hyper common right i know especially yeah. now like multiple 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 generations um you know when you're talking like a couple centuries worth right so it's it didn't feel like a duty, but it didn't not feel like a duty. Yeah, especially when you have that, that's a DNA connection to that. It's not, that point, yeah. yeah, it's a DNA. It's a hard connect into that yeah. reality. I think, I don't know how many times I thought about my grandfather. He was a, um, he was a radio guy on a B-24 Liberator <sighs> flying out of the Aleutians into Japanese territory. So he's... <sighs> He hated flying after, of course, of course you? he did, right? So, People shot at me for three years. <laughs> yeah, and, and then hearing his stories, uh, it, it was it growing up hearing his stories yeah. because I would ask him and ask oh, him yeah. and ask him and ask him. And I remember so acutely listening to him talk about just dropping bombs on the Japanese. And he was part of the initial... Uh, invasion force in the Army Air Corps, Army Corps, mm-hmm. as they took back the section of the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. A lot of people didn't realize that the Japanese had actually occupied a US, section US of soil. U.S. soil, yeah. which was, you know, obviously in the Aleutian Islands. I think it was like they lost like 3,500 troops. The it Japanese was, did. Yeah. So he was from start to finish, tip to toe on that thing. And, uh, and I remember really so well because he had a uh he had a bronze star on his keychain for as long as i knew it. he had his he had one bronze star but he that was only one yeah after he passed away he had you know he had multiple awards to include it, it um it's like the air cross and a bunch of other things mm-hmm. where you're you're like and then he had clippings of his you know his name in the local paper That's you know wild hero returns to small town like type shit <laughs> And it resonated with me so well because my grandfather was such a funny, funny, charismatic guy. You would never have known that you know, he had been through you know two years of just absolute fucking hell, flying over like dark, like dark, cold, scary water. Just the weather conditions flying out of the Aleutian They're Islands were you. fucking scary as hell. Let alone going over Japanese occupied territory, dropping fucking loads of bombs, and then hoping that you're going to get back multiple articles. Or there's a series of books written about those guys, and their their airplanes were, would come back just fucking tattered from flak. Oh yeah, 
So I can't even imagine one, I don't like flying over dark, scary, cold water to begin with. Like I just don't appreciate it. It's not something I'm into, but then doing that every day is part of your job and hoping that you're going to get fucking back. Like flying on empty. My grandpa used to always tell me this, like we would be sputtering (laughs) from fuel, running on fucking fumes. That's insane trying to fucking land on a postage stamp island that they were having a hard time finding because of cloud cover and weather conditions. So you're just trying to find your way fucking home. Like the amount of fortitude, the mental fortitude to continue doing it. Like I I thought about that before my first deployment, my granddad's like, Oh yeah, you know, keep your head down. And I'm just thinking like, I didn't, I didn't respond to him. (laughs) Right. Right. Cause like, I, how do I respond to that? Yeah. That dude got, and everybody around him got shot at for years, storming beaches over and over and over, like thinking, oh, maybe this time it'll be different. Yeah. No, they weren't. It's This is going to be just like last time. <laughs> again. It's not worse. Again. <laughs> we're going to do it again. Yeah. we're Because we're getting closer and closer to the big island. Yeah. It's going to only, the fighting's only going to get more difficult. They're going to get more pissed. Yeah. They're only going to hold on to it even tighter. And it gets like being able to have that kind of connection is wild, right? Yeah. I would think about it all the time, especially knowing think about it all the time, like for you, right. Joining. And then now there's a war going on. And then like, for me, like I joined mid war, mm-hmm. like I had a sort of kind of an idea like, well, I grew up listening to grandpa talk about this. Yeah. Like, this is like, let's go be stupid. Yeah. Let's keep our fingers crossed and try not to get our head blown off or our heads blown off. Like I, I, I I was explaining this to somebody. I was like, ah, you just kind of forfeit the idea that you're not going to live. And it's interesting because it's weird, reading about it's a weird thought process. the World War II veterans that were successful as well and the psychologically the, the, the psychologically successful guys were always the guy that's, guys that said, I've already forfeited my my life. I'm yeah. done. Just so assume I, I'm I, not. I'm just, just assume you're not going to make it. Just, it makes everything a lot easier. And it did. It made it, everything a lot easier. I remember so well crossing the berm into Iraq going, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come back from this. So I'm not even going to start making plans past the age of fucking 25. Well, you're, not being it's not matter. you're not being fatalistic. You're just like, well, I'm yeah. just never going to see 30. Yeah. That's just, that's just how it is. So every day after 30, it's interesting. I've had to try to figure out my life after that. Like, Cause I'm like, Crap, uh, I'm still here. what am I going to do now? <laughs> we'll <laughs> I guess, see. guess I'll try to figure it out. <laughs> We met in California at from, one of Dudley's. From shop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. John Dudley was a mutual uh-huh. friend. And then we all did this archery instructional. It was you, me, George Peterson. Yep. Um, Joe was there. Joe. Was Jocko there? Jocko was. We just went out that night, I with think. With him, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So <clears throat> trying to think who else was there. Barclow was there. Barclow. That's <laughs> God, man. It, that was such a good time because John's great. a great instructor. Oh man. And I was relatively new. I, I'm still new. I, I couldn't really classify myself as, uh, a, I would say a proficient archer. Like I can hit. I don't know. Targets. We were doing great the other day. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, Lies. no, no. Uh, I, well, <laughs> I, I, I started with a traditional bow and I really still enjoy They're shooting fun. a traditional bow. They're super fun. Yeah. You know, and you look cool. 
But like John says, if you want to hit what you're aiming at, <laughs> you might want to adjust your your Ooh. system to a compound. And that new PSC that he sent was it's uh, it it's pretty incredible. So you know, as we start to unravel even just our personal history and how we connected through yeah. John, really through archery, and then we went we did a moose hunt together. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, that was when was that? I don't Last even know. Fall. Yeah, that's Last right. Fall. Last fall. And that moose hunt, we both took the same kind of route. We're like, we're driving our shit home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> like, you moved, that's right. You moved up to Utah. Uh-huh. You moved up to Utah and we were like both yeah. planning, like, what are we going to do with this moose? Yeah. And my only objective, cause I took this moose and it was, it's rack was just pathetic. <laughs> and it was, I don't know. It's gorgeous. It was <laughs> pathetic, but <laughs> it's delicious. Yes. So my only objective with going up there was I really, really wanted to feed my kids, my family moose. I really wanted to feed my family moose. I was not concerned with the size of the rack. I wasn't concerned with taking a trophy. I was only like, I'm not leaving here. I'm not leaving here until like I have an animal. Yep. And you were, you were the same way. You're like, you know what? I'm, I'm not leaving until I get an animal. And I mean, maybe people have seen that moose rack now uh when i was on joe's show right you know so some people have seen the size of that thing they're like oh yeah that's a cool huge trophy animal well i can be very honest that i actually tried to kill another moose earlier that day didn't get within range like mm-hmm. i just couldn't get a clean shot and he had smaller paddles than anything we killed <laughs> the, the whole trip so believe me when i say i was up there for fucking meat like i was there meat hunting period i just got Really, 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 really lucky. With, yeah, I think, with that animal stepping out. Yeah, for sure. Because right? you don't know. Like, you don't know. All you're hearing is like, oh, oh, oh. Like, you don't know. I don't know what's in there. Holy crap! He's gigantic. <laughs> yeah, can't Whereas, miss this. <laughs> like my experience. So the funny thing was, was I had been hunting for a few days with a different guide, yep. um, and I wasn't really that satisfied with the hunt that I was getting. Trevor killed his moose, and then he's like, "Hey, go with my guide." turned into a totally different hunting experience. It was the first time I'd ever hunted with a guide. So I I was unsure as to kind of how to navigate that relationship. It's an interesting relationship, right? Yeah. It's a super interesting relationship. Yeah. Um, And the guys we had there were awesome. Like the, the the camp itself, like Andy Stomp, John Barclow, you know, you and Mm -hmm. Dudley and Dudley for people that don't know, like, John is probably one of the, 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 the most fun people oh to God. be around at hunting camp. It's out of control. It's out of, <laughs> it's out of fucking control. It's so much fun. Yeah. Cause his, like, you know, he puts the F in, in hunting. You know what I mean? Like I think, fun. I think the first bear camp I did with him after that bear camp, I was like, I'm never missing another hunting camp with you. Like if you, if you invite me on a hunting camp, I'm going because this is absurd. Like, it's absurd in a way where you're it's it's dangerous fun. That's yeah. what I like about yeah. doing things with John. He could have his you know, he has had, had his, his own television series, but yeah. he truly enjoys a bit of dangerous fun. Yeah. And if you're out with him, like, you know, you you realize like you're gonna put in some work. You're gonna mm-hmm. put in a, a lot of work, I would imagine, because everything I've ever done with John, it's typically you're going to put in some, some, some physical miles. Yeah. 
uh, you're going to kill something for sure. Like oh, yeah. you're going to kill something. It doesn't matter. There's going to be blood on the ground. Mm-hmm. There's going to be blood on the ground and you might be a little bit drunk a lot of the time, right? Uh, yeah. There, there might a be a little, that. a lot. Yes. So, <clears throat> the, but John makes it a lot of fun. I mean, I think as when we look at like all the people and that we spend time with, John is probably yeah. one of the, the most, energized and fun people to be around because he so, just doesn't give and it's shit. genuine yes like that is his personality to a t it's amazing he's a gorilla one yeah. like he is like an orangutan maybe. he's like he's big yeah, and tall. he's a big like like a linebacker essentially he's yeah. built like a fucking linebacker well, he played he played ball right right like he could have been an he could have been an athlete for sure for sure for sure and you know, I, I remember the first time that I brought him out to the ranch down in Texas, and um, he was up probably till three o'clock in the morning with JT, and and probably the, one of the few people that could put JT under the table. Well, JT, and then there's another guy that's an MMA fighter that we hang out with up there, Jeremy, and those guys are no joke. They are professionals at pushing the limit. Yeah, and. John not only hung, but probably exceeded expectation because I was concerned. I was like, man, I, I hope, I, I hope these, these guys are going to be all right around John because, you know, I don't know if John's going to you know want to just get it on. <laughs> just hammer you know? down. No, no. He was like yeah. hammer down. And then he's up at 630 or whenever, 630 AM. He went to bed maybe three hours before that throwing around kettlebells. I remember that at my first bear camp, we're up there and I'm like, Andy, like I saw a lot of booze and I'm like, hmm, okay. Are, is he going to hang? He's like, you watch out. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> you watch your ass. You be careful. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I can't, I can't put in those type of miles, man. Like I, I'm not built for that I, type I, of speed. I did that as a new guy. I'm good. Yeah. Like he is. But it's great. He's like a, what I would call him is he's like a tractor monster truck. Yeah. He's really fun, but there's a lot of utility that you can get done. <laughs> yeah, and you're probably not going to be able to flip it. No, no, no. no. You can't flip no, it. Uh-uh. You're never going to see no. the wheels up. No. Not happening. And, it, you know, outside of the fact that he's probably one of the most proficient, you know, archers in the in the nation, as far as, like, his instruction, what he does, and this isn't a podcast just promoting John, but, God, what a fucking cool guy that dude is. And I like seeing people like that that are so genuinely willing to give their time away. Yeah. Which he does. He gives it away all the time. Like all if, the time. You, gotta, you guys don't know who John Dudley is. Like School of Knock, if you're even interested in archery, yep. which, uh, you know, Trevor and I, obviously, we... we minor interest. Minor interest. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I would say that I probably have a major obsession problem. <laughs> I have, yeah. I may or may not be building arrows in my garage <laughs> all the time. All the time. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so much fun. And I think you and I have talked about it a lot where this active form of meditation, mm-hmm. how helpful it is. You know, I'll go out. I've got, you know, my bow literally is set up right outside. Oh yeah. And I'll go out and shoot. 10, 15, 20 arrows, come back in, go back to work. It just gives me a little bit of a release and then I can go back into what I was doing. I do that at the house too. And it's like, you know, those first three or four, you're still thinking about whatever was going on. But, you know, by the time you've walked down to the target and come back two or three times, like 
you know, you're 18 or 20 euros in, it's like, nothing's bothering me. Nothing's bothering me. And I think that that's an interesting thing for, for veterans. Oh yeah. Where, you know, you've, you've done a ton of shooting in your past. Obviously, yeah. you know, Trevor was a seal if you didn't know that. So he's done a ton of, yeah, I cut my hair. So it's tough to yeah, tell now. It's, it's and <laughs> you don't have a lot of gel in it. Yeah. But down low, you've taught a ton of shooting. You've yeah. done it on the private sector as well. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's, kind of give us some ideas and thoughts around archery and what it's done for you and kind of how did you get turned on to it? So what's, what's your background in it right now? Archery, I never had an interest in rifle hunting, mm-hmm. period. Um, and Why? Part of that's because of how I grew up. So I grew right. up in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm literally from Los Angeles. Uh, my mom's from LA. My dad's from LA. Like there just isn't a background there. Now, it wasn't an anti-gun or anti-hunting household, it's just, you know, I'm not going to walk into my backyard and see deer. Right. Like we, they were there, right. But they're not, it's not part of the culture there. Um, now obviously it was for my grandparents, but it just wasn't taken forward. So mm-hmm. by the time I joined the Navy and then spent nine years as a team guy, you know, I'm like, I don't, I'm proficient enough with a rifle. Like that doesn't seem very entertaining to go shoot an animal with a rifle. Right. When, you know, everything inside of 500 seems like a chip shot. I'm like, right. eh, I think I'm okay. Now I'm not denigrating anybody that's rifle hunting. No period. Uh-uh. I just, I know where my background was. So I didn't have any interest. Mm-hmm. I'd done a lot of spearfishing out in Hawaii where I was stationed initially. So when Andy started getting into archery and bow hunting through John, right. I told him I'm like, Hey man, if something comes up, I want to learn how to do that because that's probably the only way I ever want to hunt anything. And man, from step one, it just felt right. Like shooting an arrow. I'm like, this is really hard. Like, this is like, this is like pistol shooting, but harder. Right. Like way harder, way harder. Like everything you do wrong in pistol shooting, you have a minor little defect. You get a a little miss. Everything you do wrong in archery, it's exacerbated to the point where you don't even know where the arrow went. Like, Oh, that's great. That's gone. (laughs) Never going to find that. (laughs) It's insane. It's, it's literally insane. How much, how much shit you have to put into that, how much thought or no, or no thinking to get a great archery shot off. Mm-hmm. So for me, being somebody that's taught rifle and pistol combat shooting, I was immediately drawn into how difficult it is knowing I'll never get this right perfectly. And so from there, from that first animal I took, which was a black bear, I was like, this is the only way I want to hunt. I love this. And I just fell in love with the sport and how difficult it is and how much practice I have to put into it and how, how fucking quiet it is too. Right. It's such a cool physical act. And it's a thing that humans have been doing for so long. It's part of our DNA. It really is. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Because you were talking about it uh, 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 with Mark, right? Yeah. Was that a conversation you were having yeah. with Mark? Yeah, with Twy. Yeah. And so we were talking about how, you know, archery itself goes back was it 13,000 years? Is that what you're saying? I think the oldest confirmed bow and arrow right. is from 11,000 years ago. And there's some guesses on older stuff, but they are absolutely positive. That's what that thing is. Which in the frame of, you know, human development, it's a second, yeah, right? It's but it's still, when we look at all the rest of the components of, you know, humanity and uh, hunting and gathering and yeah. things like that, there is a very... Uh, a, a somewhat of a spiritual component to it. Yeah. 
that I'm, I have a hard time putting my finger on necessarily. I just know for, from my perspective, I like to think of myself as more of a projectile enthusiast, right? Like I like to hit targets with anything. So if I'm like, you know, throwing my gum in the garbage or, you know, you know, rolling fucking bowling balls or whatever it is, like I want to hit targets. I just enjoy hitting targets. Oh yeah. Pistols were always way more fun for me when I was working, when I was one in the military and then as an instructor and working at the agency, I loved shooting pistol. One of the reasons I loved shooting pistol was it was difficult. It's very difficult. So difficult. Right. I mean, especially when you compare the amount of proficiency that guys in our position, you know, across the board have with rifle and pistol, right? right? You basically teach any one of us monkeys how to shoot a rifle and you put enough around sound range, and eventually it's just like, so I just put like the X thing on the thing I want to hit, and it goes goes away. Yeah. yeah, that's how that works. Especially once you put nods on in a laser, it's almost like cheating. It's, it's a video so, game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, you can I, hold I, it. I point it, at it, right? You just put the laser on the target and pull the trigger. Is that how this works? Yeah, that's how yeah. this works. Let's right, do it again. <laughs> yeah, uh, do it again. That one's gone too. Bing, bing. <laughs> you know, okay, well, I, I get this. As opposed to pistol where all it takes is the tiniest little misstep. In your head, right? Not even physically, and you're off paper. Off if paper. You're, if you're shooting at a paper target, which is almost numbingly frustrating. Very. Yeah. Being a competent, you know, pistol shooter puts you in a different category as a shooter as well. I know a ton of guys that are. I'm not taking anything away from the rifle because there are a ton of people out there that you and I both know oh, yeah. that can throw rifles around. They are incredible at what they do. I love shooting a rifle, but if you if you give me my choice between firearms that I want to shoot when I go to the range, it's always going to be my pistol every time. Yeah. And I know exactly what pistol I'm going to take. I'm going to take an STI with you know an optic. If I've got the ability to put it on a suppressor, I'm going to because... That's just the way that I like to shoot. Yeah, I like to shoot for time. I like to shoot moving. Uh, there's so many different things that you can put in that uh, I think create an element of fun, an additional layer yeah. of difficulty that it becomes way more entertaining for me. Well, like at the team, nobody ever says, oh, yeah, that guy's like a killer rifle shot. It's no, it's oh, yeah, so-and-so can, they can do that like nine plate drill like fucking crazy that's the dude you talk about right nobody gives a shit if you can you know put 30 rounds down range in a in a tennis ball size target they're like that's neat everybody can everybody can do it (laughs) yeah oh cool okay and that was one of the things i was instructing throughout the years and then looking at archery getting turned down to archery the way that i was Mm -hmm. turned on to it was i was looking for a way to shoot while i was roasting coffee or answering customer service emails while I was working. So my first target that I built was coffee bags, a big burlap sacks where yeah, green yeah. coffee comes yeah. in. And I stuffed a burlap sack full of other burlap sacks because I had plenty of those. And <laughs> got all sorts of this shit. <laughs> got all sorts of that shit. So I would go into the back uh, behind my office and shoot traditional bow. Which uh, is quiet as shit. Quiet. Don't need, a lot of, don't need a lot of distance. <clears throat> 20 yards. Yeah. I, I, could, I could have fun even at 15. So I could go back and get these reps in, shoot into a target, get my mind completely out of work, and then come back, 
refreshed, thinking that I, I had actually accomplished something, which is really just a, a, a psychological game that I was playing with myself because I hadn't really accomplished anything other than hitting a target. Yeah, with a projectile. Yeah, but projectile enthusiast. I was a little bit apprehensive about getting into compound and additional layers of technology mm-hmm. because it looked so confusing. The whole thing looked yeah. really confusing to me. Yeah, it's a science project. It is. It looks ridiculous. It looks, it looks fucking ridiculous. And yeah. there are so many different components versus a traditional bow is just a piece of wood and a, and a, string. a string and an arrow. Well, <laughs> yeah. shit, I can figure that out. Yeah, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this on my own. <laughs> yeah, I don't need, a, I don't need a, an instructor to teach me how to yeah. do this. I don't this need a guru. Easy. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's way more complex. It oh, really yeah. is. Uh, it was a great way to learn because the other, the other piece of that was as I started to, in, in the first bow that, that was given to me, it was given to me by Baker Levitt. So oh, he man. kept, he kept trying and trying and trying. It's like, you got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to get a bow. You've got to get a bow. That guy is an advocate for stuff he loves. He loves it and i used to always make fun of them i was like why would i use a bow and arrow dude i have a rifle are I you could, stupid i could kill something at yeah. you know a mile away pegging my dope i'm gonna <laughs> drop it in over a, a ridge line like what are you crazy but once I, I once i was given the 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 hoyt mm-hmm. from from him and the guys over at hoyt were freaking awesome too they brought me into the shop they Gave me a quick instructional on it. They, they're here in town, right? Yeah, they're right here, they're in, here town. in Salt Lake. It was Isaac, who now works for us. Actually, he worked for Easton, but yeah. he brought us in. Instantly, after throwing a couple arrows, I, I, I said to myself, okay, let's not get too into this. <laughs> let's try to dial uh, it back a little uh-oh. bit. It's going to be a money suck. <laughs> but <clears throat> that's not the case. I mean, I have... Oh, man bow vices and uh, all kinds of crazy shit now that i never i mean there's there's not like a five gallon bucket out there full of arrows there is a five gallon bucket out there full of (laughs) arrows there is the other nice thing is easton's been so generous to the to us as well because we have a ton of giveaways and i can honestly say i haven't spent a lot of money on on archery uh you've probably driven a lot of business yeah, but I, I think it's part of the charter of the company at this point yeah. to turn veterans onto archery. I really think that it's an incredible sport, and it it, it does something for and you, your sanity. You don't even need to be a guy that wants to connect with an animal. No. Mm-mm. At all. And it's so much more accessible because every town either has a place that is open enough and legal where you can just set up a target and go shoot it, or they have an archery club or a range that you can go shoot. I mean, even in Balboa Park in San Diego, that's where I was shooting, right? right? A lot. There are not that many places you can go shoot rifle and pistol. No. You know, and, you know, thank God that we have laws in the country that allow people to own as many firearms as they do, but they're still so restrictive for a good reason that it's not that accessible for so many people. So archery is something that you can literally do basically in your basement yeah 
right? You ain't you ain't going down to your basement and shooting your three hundred blackout. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you you can your, your neighbors it, might knock on the door. Yeah, you, you can. I, I wouldn't suggest that as a no. as a course of action. Yeah, but practicing your draw, hitting a target. Doing all the <clears throat> fundamentals of archery can be done in your basement. Guys do it all winter long. Yeah. They post videos about it all, all across the internet. All winter, right? And and Dudley has shown, and he sells a, a release, like a, the right release. Yep. A basically dry fire system. Right. You don't even need a bow. Nope. You don't even need to be shooting a bow. And when I was traveling a bunch two years ago, right after he taught me, I had to take like two months off right. of archery because I was traveling a, a ton. Um, that's when I went to Lebanon doing some security work right. and I just took the right release with me. And the second I came back, it took like one session and I was right back on it. Yeah. It was, get your dry fires in, get, get your reps in, get your reps in. I, th- I think that's one of the, the, the single best things I have started in the last, I would say at least decade where it, it continues to evolve as a skill set that you can you can move into whatever rabbit hole and you can get as sophisticated yeah. as you want. Or you can be the guy that, you know, throws 50 arrows a year. I was talking to uh, yep. uh, super accomplished hunters about what do they do throughout the year? What are they doing to prepare for hunting season? And one of my buddies was like, oh, I go out and I shoot like 50 arrows. The rest of the time he's shed hunting and he's out in the mountains, but he doesn't really shoot a lot. He just makes sure that his bow's tuned, it's dialed, and so when he goes out, he's ready to connect, and 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 he kills an elk every year. And those are guys that are putting themselves, like they're mitigating that, you can call it lack of practice, in comparison by volume, right? by putting themselves in scenarios and knowing the terrain and just being a better hunter, right? right? And like for us, coming from that background, we're trying to mitigate all the factors, right? Like. I want to be a very good hunter as well as I just want to be comfortable with a shot at 60, right. but take a shot at 15. Yeah. Like that's what I want. Right. That well, that's where I want to be. Gosh, we've, we've actually <clears throat> done more hunting than I, I was, I was trying to think about it because Hogs. we went and did a hog hunt in Oklahoma mm-hmm. with John. Oh, another, yeah. So I drove up from San Antonio and met, uh, Barklow. Yep. Was Barklow there? Barklow was there. Yeah, I think Barclay was there. Torsten was there. Torsten. Andy was Andy. there. <clears throat> that and was fun. That was so much fun. Oh, man. Uh, gosh, we put in probably 50 miles. There was a lot of walking. There was a lot there of walking. There was a lot of walking. <laughs> <laughs> Before <laughs> I got an arrow off yeah. into my first hog, I put in, because I was looking at my step counter on my mm-hmm. watch, I put in easily 50 miles before I connected. I think we were all saying like, ah back again today another 15 yeah another, in the bank we shit yeah, we were putting in 12 miles a day yeah that's i remember what I mean. very specific was i was absurd. putting in 12 miles Ugh. a day and it was frustrating enough that you you just wanted to kill you just wanted to kill a hog yeah by the way the the myth of uh wild pigs not tasting very good that's that's a that's a myth total that's horseshit. that's a total horse shit yeah myth I would imagine there are some based on, I guess, based on size, they yeah. can, and based on maybe time of year and what they're eating. I'm not exactly sure, but when like we ate it in Oklahoma, it was great. It was amazing. Chad was cooking. Yeah. Well, 
It helps when you have the guy from Traeger cooking. I this is like <laughs> this is like the worst podcast. Like, oh yeah, you guys, it's like shoot arrows with John Dudley, and they got a Traeger that chef from Traeger. Should just skip that one myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how lucky are we at this point in our lives where the guy from Traeger comes out and cooks? But that was incredible. And I think yeah. actually John had cooked that. I don't know if that the first was Chad. Night. Yeah, the first night, yeah. Because I think it was the second night or so that um, he and Preston were cooking. Right, yeah. yeah. And we had we had a blast on that trip as well. Because Super fun. We, we did some long-range shooting. Oh, we, yeah. they we, were do, They were like, because Andy at that time was still getting pretty dialed with long range yeah um andy's a relatively good and experienced uh, proficient lr guy so they both had the same setup so it made it really easy Mm -hmm. for him to sit there and like teach him how uh, i think it was a six five right yeah yeah Yeah. so they're shooting that six five i forget what it was um but damn they were shooting a long ways it was for, for dud I mean, it was, was over a grand. I think they were doing some it? over granders. Yeah. Well, they were definitely because they they did that. They did the hunting down in uh, next to the the, the Mexican border. Mm-hmm. So they went out to West's place. Yeah. They were shooting well over a grand out a there. Long ways. They were shooting a long ways out there. And I think that's one of the cool things with John is yeah. he's gotten turned on to shooting through yeah. us. We've it's been fun to teach him. It's been awesome. I, I put it. I put it an STI in his hand out in Texas. It was like, all right. And it was, uh, John Dudley and Brett Burns and all these guys were yeah. out there. It's such fucking cool, cool group of people. You almost pinch yourself because yeah. you're around it's such fucking really rad people. And John just picks up an STI. I gave him like maybe high point, 20 minutes worth of instruction. Mm-hmm. He's never shot a pistol to any level whatsoever. He said, ah, maybe shot it at 30 minutes in my life. Yeah. Maybe. Like everybody's handled one. Yeah. He was ringing steel out to like 40 with a long ways. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. Now, part of that is great gear. Yeah. Obviously you get set up with great gear, great optics, and, and archery is, very, is similar-ish. Yeah. Archery is similar-ish to pistol shooting. Like he, under, he understands yeah. that every minor error is a major conclusion on the back end. Like the second order issue that's going to go on when you you know squeeze too hard with one hand yep. or when you jerk the trigger. He understands it's the same as when he's shooting a bow and he's you know squeezing the bow hand or yanking his release. Right. He understood that. Well, and and that's an interesting translation for most shooters. I think that shooting archery directly translates into the rest of your shooting. Oh, yeah. Because of that, and John proved that point to me because he's Olympic-level archer, was. He shot probably hundreds of thousands of arrows, and he picked up a pistol. He would be categorized as in in a top— 10% 10% of all pistol shooters in the nation easily just based on what he was, he was doing out there. He was shooting yeah. six inch pie plates at 40 yards and ringing them 95% of the time. And he has said similar things because I've heard him say it offhand and I've talked to him about it also about guys coming from the special operations community mm-hmm. with the proficiency in shooting rifle and pistol that he puts a bow in our hands and he's like, well, that's easy. That's fucking turnkey. <laughs> like that's that's ridiculous. Like you shouldn't just be able to hit a target at X distance, you right. know, with that kind of proficiency. But that's coming from a background of the exact same type of thing. Like, oh, look, bing, oh, it's on. 
Oh, that's neat. Oh, there, there it goes. And I think that that's, that's one of those things where if you're shooting now, you're thinking about shooting archery, the school in Ock obviously is the first place yep. you should go. That's uh, exactly where I direct people. I, I, I've told, I literally told two people earlier today, you need to go to school in Ock because I, we bought PSE bows and give them to, uh, employees of the company. So they're getting their bows. People are getting their bows in the company. Matt and I both have PSE bows. We both shoot quite a bit. He's got, I don't know how many 3d targets in his backyard. <laughs> When looks, I go it looks to like a, house, looks like a zoo when he shows it. I, seriously, <laughs> when, I, when I go to Matt's house, I always bring my bow, and he's always because he's a hyper competitive person as well. No, oh, you don't say. <laughs> and the first thing we do is the oh, first yeah. thing we do is let's let's go out and I mean uh, shit. What happened throw, on throw sa- together a competition? What happened on Saturday with just like our trad bows? Like, yeah. oh, this is fun at ten. How about we just like try like thirty five or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think okay okay this is like the, this is when you know you have good friends <laughs> just so you, you guys know like to give context to what we did over the weekend so when, when you have good friends and you can call them i called trevor or texted him whenever it was i forget and i was like hey tomorrow why don't we just bust out a quick workout maybe jump in a, a horse trough full of ice and do a few minutes in that we'll just kind of put together something because we're yeah. doing social isolation or social distancing because of the, the pandemic, but we can still spend time with one another. We're just, yeah. you know, three to six feet apart. We're, you know, not sharing food, blah, blah, blah. But Trevor's like, yeah, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, <laughs> we'll just pick up, 10 bags of ice on your way in, will you? And I don't even know. Well, did you even know what I was talking about when no. I, you were just, I, I, was no like, I was like, Okay. Hey, man, grab Whatever. some ice on the way in. You're like, I guess. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so this thing is a horse trough. I think it's 250 gallons, give or take, at the top. And I've got it out back. Yeah. I, I, I bought it because I was, I was okay, we're going to be spending yeah. a lot of time here. My entire company probably thinks I'm crazy at this point because I'm walking around in my, my swim trunks and dunking myself in ice. I had a couple people be like, what the fuck are you two doing over the weekend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you guys doing? What is wrong with you weirdos? But you didn't, you, Trevor didn't even hesitate. He was just like, yeah, sounds good, man. So we did, was it a hundred burpees? For time. For time. And then we did five minutes a piece. Wait, more context. So yeah. it was 43 degrees outside and, yeah, and okay. raining. Yeah, and right. raining. And raining. Yeah. A little. So we went to the coffee shop. We made some, <laughs> we made some hot, hot beverages some tea actually it was just tea yeah, it was just tea yeah. and uh trevor of course he was the first in the shoot because he was 20 burpees ahead of me and so i was filming him getting in and and then i jump in so he technically warmed it up a little bit you a warmed little. it up a little yeah. bit for me and spilled some of the ice out yeah you spilled we'll a reverse bit. it next time so i i have to go first next time i came in the day before yesterday and did it again i saw that i was um i, was I did 10 now. minutes I How, did 10 minutes last time. How was that? Uh, my, little, my feet were numb. A little chilly? Yeah, my feet yeah, were numb. Yeah. yeah, my feet were numb. I had to, you know, because we were sitting Indian style in this yeah. horse trough, <clears throat> which keeps your legs and your lower extremities a little bit a little warmer. Better. But I had to move my legs around in the water because my feet were numb. It starts to ache, right? Yeah, it starts yeah. to hurt a little bit. I remember that in the STV, like, um, you know, doing, like you start getting into the multi-hour multi multi hour yeah. dives 
you know, eight, nine, 10 hours underwater and like I'm kicking my feet so I don't freeze to death. Because <laughs> I can't uh, go anywhere. Yeah. Oh, this like, is fun. Super fun. But like I said, when I got in the horse trough, I'm like, oh, I, I think my body's remembering how to do this. Because I wasn't yeah. like, I, did, I don't know. I don't think I looked very uncomfortable. No, you didn't look uncomfortable whatsoever. Yeah. You just looked like you were sitting in a tub of water. It uh, is. It's a little chilly. It was chilly. I did when I did it the other day. It, Ten, the, tens a little extra. When I did it the other day, though, the sun was out, mm. and so it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference oh. because my head was was warm mm-hmm. from, and the sun was directly on my face. So, so maybe we need like a pop tent over the top of it to avoid that. You know what I did is I started <clears throat> dunking my head uh, to get. Uh, One, it was to get the wet again. Is it's a mammalian mammalian response, I believe. Mammalian, mammalian, Mm -hmm. um, which was an Aubrey Marcus, uh, which was something I learned from from listening to his podcast and talking to him. But I would dunk my head underwater to start cooling myself off even more, because as if it wasn't difficult enough. I felt like I was cheating because it was so warm. You this know, isn't fair to me. Like, this isn't fair. I'm not giving myself a full experience. <laughs> I need give myself a better experience yeah. in this. Uh, so what I found is that works exceedingly well mm-hmm. because it fucking sucks. Yeah. You don't want to do it. No. But that forced compliance of it, making sure that you're getting a total experience out of something that is quite literally supposed to be a little bit miserable. It's supposed to suck. It's supposed to suck. Yeah. Now the health benefits, I think way outweigh oh, yeah. what, what the suck factor is. Um, but I wasn't going to go out and try, try to shortchange myself. Now I didn't get a good workout in that day at whatsoever, because what I was going to do is do that first mm-hmm. and then sit in the sauna for a while and the dry sauna, crank up the heat, but I couldn't get warm enough, even work trying to work out to try to get warm enough. So I kind of <laughs> cut my my workout out a little bit. Mike Clancy, he's a he's a uh, former Force Recon guy. He's he's uh, he's working with us, and he was out back, and I was sitting there talking to him. It's like, so you're gonna work out or what? And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't Maybe like I don't like it. It's <laughs> you know, but it's. Those experiences, I think. See, but it's it's that kind of experience and those kinds of friends that are cool to have around. And it's like like that moose hunt was like that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but it snowed the first day. Yep. And it rained the next two. Mm-hmm. You know, like we weren't walking into animals, like no. boun- bouncing into moose. Like it's you know, or like that hog hunt. Like it yeah. was it was fucking cold on that hog hunt. Like, it was cold. It was cold. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of walk. Like I was glad to be walking because it was cold. I, I just like the 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 gear aspects of those things too. Because when we first started on that hog hunt, mm-hmm. you and I both were in the same position where we were carrying our bows yeah. in our hands. And then after about day two, we're like, "Well, I'm just going to put this on my back. <laughs> Get yeah. it on my back. <laughs> <laughs> it goes right. This to is the ridiculous. Back. <laughs> this is." If we see hogs, we're a long way off. <laughs> so we're going to have plenty of time to do this. Yeah. I remember, though, because I was going out on the first the first time, and I was like trying to knock an arrow. And yeah. <laughs> you're not going to need gonna that for ready. a while. You're, you're not going to need that. That's cute, Evan. Yeah. We're good. We'll see one at lunch. Maybe. But, even going back to my moose hunt. So I, 
I walked and hunted for eight eight days, mm-hmm. and we only had ten days out there. Yeah, so which is part of why I shot mine on the fourth day. Yet like, you're like, I'm oh going. god, gotta kill him. Well, he was massive either way. That right? too. So, I think you guys might have killed me. If I'd. yeah, if you would have passed that up, I would have been com- <laughs> really mortified. You're fired. <laughs> and but I I had walked all week. Yeah. And that morning I had put in a few miles and we had, we were, we were on bowls, maybe one Mm -hmm. or two. We're calling him in on a lake. It was fucking beautiful morning, breaking frost off, off the top of the the grass and the high grass. It's cool. Going up and over logs and getting down close to the water. It was perfect. Moose droppings everywhere. So much moose sign. The ground's still steaming from the beds that we're walking down through, and we're going, fuck. If we don't kill something here, we're completely fucked. We are inept. So, sure thing, one hits, we're calling it in, and then we hear, boom, 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 from across the lake. (laughs) And Oh, man. I thought it was one of you guys. Yeah. So, I thought it was one one of us. I was like, oh, that's great, man. Like, Somebody, got somebody, one. Else, somebody else got one, not a big deal, but it wasn't one of us. It was yeah. somebody else. So we're driving in, super defeated. My feet are frozen. So from knee right. down. Yeah, you said like your entire lower leg, just numb. Just numb. And it didn't matter. I, we were blasting the heater into my feet. My feet were completely numb. And we're almost back. In the sidetrack with no floor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No floor. We're almost back to where we're getting on the boats. There's a moose standing in the middle of the road. And broadside. (laughs) Broadside. 98 yards broadside standing in the road. And uh, Ashley's like... So this is how it goes. Ashley's like, do you want it? I was like, he didn't didn't get, do you want it out of his mouth? And I was... I, you can't you can't hunt up there with a round in the chamber. So I was yeah. chambering around, and the the magazine that I brought with me that morning was not built for that rifle, so it didn't scrape around off. And there's a 300 Win Mag, so I pull up, click like hard click, no boom, fuck, <clears throat> and this thing just looked at me even more just sat there and looked like, at me how dare you how dare you what are you doing <laughs> give me enough time to chamber around and boom uh double lung couple inches above the heart is great i mean it's it 98 shots there 98 98 yards yeah, it, it was a chip shot yeah you can't miss him you can't miss so i take off sprinting down the road to try because he to walked up. off yeah. yeah for a follow-up <clears throat> shot and he walked maybe 30 yards and I'm sprinting. Well, I pulled my, my lower extremities were frozen. I pulled both my calves, like pulled them, like not just a little bit, but completely. I, I felt like I severed the calf off my fucking bone in my leg. I remember this that night. Cause yeah. Cause I couldn't came walk. Back and you came back and you, you were like, it was as if you had like air braces on both feet. Seriously? Like what is wrong with you? Yeah. I pulled my calves. What? Double calf How do you do pull. Both? <laughs> because I was wearing yeah. 
fucking mountain boots <laughs> that were frozen solid. Yes. Sprinting down the road. I went from riding in, in, a, in a tiny, because Caleb was in the back, and he's oh, huge, man. so I couldn't recline the seat yeah. or get any more distance. So I'm crunched in there. I've got zero circulation. My legs are frozen. I'm jumping out to get a follow-on shot. I pulled Let's both my him. fucking calves. It's horrible. But then I walked down 30 yards, and he was just Smoked. done. Yeah, he was done. Grizzly shit they're everywhere. Huh? They're not super tough. D- not with 300 Win Mag hole in them, right? I mean, m- not much is. Right? No, no, not with a big hole. But I, I will say, as, as experiences <clears throat> go in hunting, yeah. uh, and I've hunted a, a little bit in my life, but killing a moose was... So cool. So it is so cool. Well, and I remember that, like, you came back and the, we, well, we put him on a flatbed and left him over. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. brought him all back. And, like, at that point, I think mine was starting to get to the point where it was, like, almost all quartered and skinned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was starting to break mine down. And, like, that was so cool to have a couple moose in camp. And you were so freaking stoked to have, like, the, the organs and the heart and, breaking it down like i could see how how much you cared about that experience too like this is so cool so cool because it is i mean their heart's the size of a volleyball yeah you're holding this heart out and it is it's the size of a fucking volleyball it's ridiculous trevor processed his entire animal so he was out there with knives and a sharpener and a vacuum sealer for I, what seems like a week. Yeah, it was like two, <laughs> two and a half days. Yeah. Two and a half days. <laughs> Don't want to do that again. <laughs> Not by myself. Whereas I just quartered mine, threw it into the back <laughs> of the truck. My dad came up. My dad came up and, and we met him and we just loaded this thing up in the back of his truck and drove it back down. Now, granted, I did have the time. I had sure. like four or four and a half days left of the hunt. I knew I was going to have the time to process it. And... Uh, I did go against everybody's advice. You did. Everybody said, you don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. And I did it anyway. You did it anyway, which my hat's off to you because that was a ton of work. It was a shit ton of work. But I mean, it's paid off in the end because in December I shot an elk. Yep. And she was big. It was mm-hmm. like a depredation tag. So it was a, yep. a cow. And I, after that moose experience and having done a bunch of whitetail, I was like, cool, let's gut her and throw her in my truck. Yeah. Hole. Brought it home, laid her out in my garage, and I processed that whole elk in an afternoon. Wow, that's and that, and that because that's the I thing. did the other thing. Yeah, well, yeah. and I did that even down in Texas a few months ago. Uh, Matt and I went out and went whitetail hunting, so we hunted yeah. whitetail together, <laughs> and then Matt and I went out like a week or so later, whenever the whenever the season was, and uh, we processed one literally in an evening. So yeah. he and I zipped through that thing with zero we we had shot it had it on the ground and processed it and put all the meat basically in bags and it was done by 10 o'clock at night we were in and out we were drinking by 10 yeah it was fucking it really wasn't a big deal because it's a small animal oh yeah you're essentially processing something that's the size of a dog uh, which pretty much yeah it wasn't very big yeah but that entire week by the the meat that I'd taken from our hunt together, which was the white tail down mm-hmm. on, the, on the border, and then that that white tail. By the time I put that other one in the processor to make sausage out of it, man, I was eating white tail for 
two weeks straight. And it's a great feeling to <sighs> be that self-sufficient on red meat, on protein, yeah. right? And especially something that you've handled all of it. You know, like it feels good to feed people that come to my house or to, like I stayed at a friend's place on the way through Missoula, on the way back from Canada mm -hmm. after shooting that moose. And it felt good to hand him a piece of meat that I know I had processed. Right. You know, that came from an animal that I know how it died. And I was the one that was respecting that thing's entire existence. Right. And for me, <clears throat> it all started from that first hunt. And it's part of the archery thing. It's part right. of the whole hunting experience that's been so fulfilling is you're learning partaking and then passing on a skill that's been going on with humans person to person it's a physical thing you have to show somebody how to do it right for hundreds of millennia yeah hundreds of them yeah hundreds of thousands of millennia right right so for all of human history there's been some man or woman teaching some other boy or girl how to hunt and kill and process and cook in that order. And we're learning that from those successful members of those societies. And it's yeah. a very, very cool thing. Well, I, I think that's what, when we first started talking about FRA and, and a lot of people, they might not know the full history of FRA. And it was originally uh, John Dudley, Andy Stump. Uh, you were a big part of that as well. So, you know, we bought it from Andy and John, mm -hmm. uh, last year we rolled it into black rifle coffee. One of the, the whole things that we want to accomplish here is, is this sharing of skill sets, Yeah. right? So how do we share good information and really essentially build a, a collective of people that are interested in yeah. these same things that we are. Give people a resource. Yeah. You you brought over elk at Christmas, remember? Yeah. We had we had elk. I elk, think my wife had elk cooked jalapeno moose. poppers. Yeah, yeah. So there's no better feeling at this point. I, when I go down to the ranch, I eat you know whitetail that we've taken off the mm -hmm. off off the ranch, or axis that we've taken off the ranch. We're building garden beds down there. One yep. of the things that we're doing for the company. I'm doing that in the back of my house here soon. Yeah, we're doing it <clears throat> for the company is shoot, how do we build a garden and how do I build a garden that we can deliver, yeah. you know, a bag of groceries every week to everybody that lives in the San Antonio area, our, our employees. Yeah. I mean, that could be done here. Like there yeah. could be a quarter acre plot here yep. that is super self-sustaining, mm -hmm. just a greenhouse that runs year round. It's so easy. And I actually saw somebody uh, post something on, it was Instagram, like a social media platform today talking about victory gardens during yeah. World, War, World War II. Right. right? So they encourage people to have gardens and that delivered like 40% of all the groceries, yeah. vegetable groceries in the U S during that time. Cause they needed the other food from the major agricultural centers to go to troops and logistics overseas. So that kind of sustainability for communities is something that we're seeing the ramifications of that not being a thing right now. Right. Shortages where there shouldn't be shortages of some stuff. Right. You know, you, sh you there, there will be shortages when people panic. There will be, period. But you shouldn't go to the store and be like, oh, cool, I can't buy a vegetable at all. No. Or meat at all. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Right. And that's that's not the fault of the grocers. That's not the fault of the agricultural system. No, I, I think there's, there's something to be said about that for hunting in general and what that, that skill itself provides for mm -hmm. individual confidence and psychology. 
I want to be as self-reliant as possible. Yeah. One of the things that we're trying to do with the company is make it zero carbon emissions, not because, you know, I, because of some, you know, progressive wing nut that yeah, some, some left it, sideways. It's because I, I, I don't want the interference. Yeah. I, I want to be able to power the company just on its own without talking to the city. And obviously yeah. you have to, but <clears throat> this entire idea of self-reliance, I think has to be activated again and injected into society. Absolutely. I hope this is one of the second and third order effects of the pandemic is that People don't look at prepping as some weirdo tinfoil hat thing that they're doing. It should be, this is my life. This is the way that I choose to live it. It's a lifestyle. And we talked about this over the weekend where it's like that, that second, third order effect of being a hunter or somebody that has a garden or a friend has a garden. I mean, I know like in Switzerland, they do gardens where you just grow carrots, right? Your neighbor grows turnips, right? So you're maximizing the efficiency of the growing operation because you're mm-hmm. going to have some fail crops, right? Right. But you can trade amongst the community. Right. So, you know, if you're a hunter and you have some some veggies in the background, you know, in your backyard, then this, that second, third order effect is I don't have to deal with, like, I've been asked a couple times by some people, like, oh, how has this whole thing, you know, really affected you? And I'm in a fortunate position with the company with how I work, right, that I've been able to, like, stay home. but. Mm-hmm. Because I have so much meat at home and other stuff, and I I don't have to go to the grocery store. No. Like, like, this hasn't affected me in that devastating way that it has for a lot of people, and I feel for them, but there is a way out of it on the back end. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are, are, they'll say, well, and I've heard this too, it's like, well, that's easy for you to say because, uh, you know, you guys are, you know, successful. I'm like, well, that's still taking a lot of work to get to this point, and yeah, it didn't my, just happen. My dad was you know, just a blue collar single yeah. parent. He wasn't wealthy. My grand my grandparents on both sides, they weren't wealthy whatsoever. They were actually yeah. classification would be poor. I mean, I we've talked about this. Both my grand both sets of my grandparents came from depression farms. Right? Right? Like I mean, my mom's dad co-opted his way through school. Yeah. He worked for the fucking college. Right. Like, come on, people. Like it it's all doable, right? It's all doable. And I think if people broke down some of the stigmas that are associated with it and said, you don't have to have a a $10,000 rifle or a $5,000 bow. You don't have to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in farming equipment to have a garden. It, it can't be overtaken by, I I guess this progressive ideal uh, and the ideologues that say, if you have a garden, if you do these things, you're some fucking crazy hippie. Mm-hmm. Having the ability to feed your family, and if you're just single, if you're feeding yourself, like there is such a unique subset of skills yeah. within that that are so interesting that you can choose to 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 turn off fucking football on Sunday or whatever it is that you're into to go garden to go figure out how to grow. Yeah kale or tomatoes and then figure out another layer of that maybe learn how to can yeah holy or shit pickle. or pickle yep or get a smoker and learn how to smoke your own fucking meats there are so many different things that you can do that are economical that actually save you money in the long run and we talked about this like i've had people say now granted i'm in a great position where i have been able to save some 
cash and be able to put down on some of these more expensive hunts. Right. But we've talked about this, like, you know, an expensive hunt isn't that expensive when you look at how much meat you're pulling from the animal. Right. Right. Like those, you know, that moose, like I'm spending on less on the moose meat per pound than I would if I went to the store and bought ground beef, like good ground beef. Grass fed. Like, yeah, grass fed, finished with corn. And it's better. It's way better. It's way better. It's better for you. Like that's an older animal. It's put all that life into that meat. You know, like that's the reason chicken doesn't really taste like much when you get it from the standard, oh, that that chicken costs $2 for the entire chicken, right? Because they grow them so fast to get them to a certain size. You know, you're not getting everything, the benefit out of that that you would out of like a a couple year old gobbler that you shoot. That's a turkey, right? right? A wild turkey. It's a different animal. It's a different animal. It's yeah. it's got a totally different. When we look at even the DNA and how it's shifted, mm-hmm. how it's been modified, <clears throat> I think there's there's so many different things that we're going to get into over the next you know twelve and twenty four months when we yeah. look at you know how we're looking at self sustainment, how we're looking at self reliance. It's not you know the tinfoil hat stuff. It's a yeah. how do we how do we just make a really good you know, high value, uh, vegetable garden. What's, yeah. what's high value mean? It means that you have to have a lot of macro micronutrients mm-hmm. within your garden. So how do you plot that out? How are you planting? How are you watering? How are you going about your daily lives? And like, does that mean like for, for us, like I want to put a garden and maybe have chickens in the back, right? right? With the garden to help pull the bugs away. So I don't have to use pesticides you know like there are ways to go about some of this where instead of like you're not a prepper and you're not like a crazy hippie but when something weird happens you can go oh okay i'm good good." my wife and i've had chickens are i mean for years we've had chickens in the backyard we've always had a garden uh that's just us that's the way that we live my parents had a garden when i was growing up like we had pumpkins and squash and corn yeah we did on a tiny little Tiny. In LA. In LA. Well, we live downtown Salt Lake. Yeah. Right next to the the largest homeless population in the city. We had a a fairly decent sized backyard, but Mm -hmm. the the house we lived in wasn't fancy. The house we live in right now is nothing fancy. We have a tiny backyard. We still have garden beds. We still grow simple things. Kale is one of those things that's so hardy, so easy to grow, and it's packed with all these nutrients. It's it's an incredible plant. Yeah. But... We've done that every year where we can go out, we can pull the vegetables off our own garden, we can create a salad. We've had eggs in our kitchen for years that are coming from our chickens, unless our dog is eating them and then we have to replace them. But you know, according to us, they run away because yeah. that's we, we have two little girls <laughs> that would be the very chickens were, disappointed the, the chickens if, they knew flew away. That, <laughs> if they knew that Dr. Beans was eating all the chickens. <laughs> uh oh. But we've we've had we've had a great time with it. The other thing with that is my kids really get into it. Yeah. My kids love it. Well, and, and the effect of that, as well as just raising like very, very simple animal husbandry. Right. Also puts you in touch with the food you're eating and life and death. Right. Yeah. So many people have a disconnected relationship and that's part of why I think that's part of why there's such a panic during they this don't know. pandemic is they're like, Oh my God, what the fuck's going to happen? You know? Oh God, uh, there's people dying. Like what is dying? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, most people, especially in the Western world, in a you know first world country, 
they take grandma and grandpa and when they're too old for you to deal with and by I mean deal with is you know go to their house and they're there you know when they're too old for them to have their own house you just like send them to a home and then they die at some point right right nobody deals with this and, you know those hunter gatherer peoples they they have grandma live with them or grandpa live with them until they die and then they die in the house and then you help them take them the person out of the house and bury them right, right? There's a close relationship with life and death that only in the last couple hundred years have people really distanced themselves away from. And having animals, like, oh, we have to, I want to have a rabbit for dinner tomorrow. Cool, well, that means you have to go outside and pick one that is ready and kill it. You know, that's, for me, like, I haven't bought red meat in a couple years at a store. And for part of that was, I don't want to be part of the the whole factory farming system. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn how to hunt, but... I also wanted to have a relationship with the food I was eating. Right. You know, if I'm going to be the person eating that protein, be it rabbit, chicken, duck, turkey, moose, I want to be the one that killed it. I'm, I'm going to put the work in. Right. You know, it put the work in growing. I'm going to put the work in processing it. Well, I think it's so interesting for me because when I look at these <clears throat> things, I just find them interesting because they're skills that you have to learn. You have to curate them over time. Yeah. There is no instant gratification in learning how to hunt. That's not a thing. No. You have to learn how to shoot and be proficient at shooting, Especially whether it's archery. a firearm or archery. You have to learn the ins and outs of not only shooting a, a bow, mm-hmm. but then also you have the entire art of hunting on top of that, which is a, a, an, a, a, lifelong a skill. wide variety of skills and sub-skills that you have yeah. to curate. It's not just going out and, you know, hitting something over the head with a fucking hammer. It's not easy. But what I've told people, I don't know in how long, it's like nothing in life is worth having if it's fucking easy because you can't appreciate it as much as if you were to put in the work for it. I've never had anything in my life that was just given to me where I've just appreciated mm-hmm. what, whatever it is. So if you have to put in the work for it, if you have to walk the miles, if you have to actually learn the skills. So for me, gardening and hunting and those types of things, those are just interesting to me. I want to understand not only where my food comes from. And they're accessible. They're completely accessible. Especially especially at the time we live now. Because if anybody out there is listening and hears, oh, garden XYZ, and you're living in Brooklyn in an apartment, I want you to pause this, get on the Google machine right. and go apartment garden. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to fucking find one where you can hang it up on a wall. Like right. you could live in a 400 square foot little place, a 200 square foot place and have a hanging garden. Mm-hmm. Like it My- is the tech is out there. It is now the time is now to go backwards in your skill sets to learn those things, to be self-sufficient in a tiny little space. If that's where you're stuck, if that's hey. where you're at and that's what your choice is, you can do it. And you and you you don't have the option anymore. You can't go to a concert. You can't go to bars. You can't go and do some of these things. Yeah. So order a garden. Order order a garden. Order something and start learning a new skill. Like like herbs. Those are so easy. <laughs> They're or, or, super easy. Herbs are easy. Or or a hanging tomato garden. Yeah. So stupid simple. They grow themselves. Just put water in it. If you cannot burn rice, you can have a garden. Yeah, and that, that's that's a whole other thing where it's it's when you look at living with the economy and how it shifts, mm-hmm. right? So 
high point if we looked at the economy three months ago and we said that was a high point of the economy and quite literally in the last, the last decade. decade plus. Yeah. You are living a very um, a, a very removed from from the economy. You're 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 living a very removed and disconnected life because you could you could afford it, right? Yeah. You could afford to do those things. Now, because the forced social distancing, this the forced quarantine, what's going on with the the pandemic itself, what's going on with the economy, everything's tightening up. Mm-hmm. So now, as we tighten, I think people have to adapt their lives to that yeah. tightening. They have to say. What are the skills that I'm going to need to curate in order to make myself a little bit more self-sufficient, in yeah. order to, to just create the positive psychology that you'll need in order to navigate this? It's like, man, if you ordered so, some so, seeds and built a fucking yeah. garden, think about how in, interesting, one, those skill sets are. Two, think about the psychological benefit that you're getting from knowing you know what? I don't need to go to the store and get fucking tomatoes. And even if you're paycheck to paycheck, right? Because what is it? I, I saw somebody say, hey, if you're running low on groceries, like try not to go the first or the second because people on food stamps, that's when their food stamps get recharged and right. you can go back and buy the buy the food. They might be running on fumes now, right? right? Like, okay, so somebody in that position, imagine having a garden where instead of being stuck paycheck to paycheck thinking that's when I can get my food or food stamp to food stamp, that's when I can get my food. You have a garden just running. Right, you you don't you don't run on fumes for that. You run on fumes for other things, for luxury items instead of food. Food should never be a thing that you're fucking panicking about. I would tend to agree. I think it's just <clears throat> a matter of people don't want to put the time in, or don't, or just have never been exposed to it. Like they don't know. The, I, and I whether look, that's their fault or their parents' fault or who, whatever the case is, I look at it pr- fairly simply in this in the sense of. There are a ton of people that spend a lot of time online and they're online gambling. They're watching, you know, Netflix, they're watching sports. They're, they're spending a lot of this time and their time is money. And they're essentially fucking off. They're essentially just fucking off. And basically they're just marking time until they're dead. Yeah. Right. Because you're not going to be on your deathbed going, man, I really wish I would have watched that new Netflix special. You're, you're <laughs> how, did I, how did I miss episode 36? Oh, yeah. Like, damn oh, it. Oh my God. I wish I would have known the stats on that fucking running back a little oh, bit more. God. That's not what you're going to be thinking about. No. You're going to be thinking about, man, I wish I would have spent more quality time with my fucking kids. I wish I would have spent more quality time with my wife. I wish I would have learned this fucking skill that I've always yeah. been interested in. So, Instead of just spending, and that's what I would say is it's not the health of our society when we look at the wealth, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily, it, it, it's, it, it's not degrading because of how wealthy we are. It's how we actually waste our fucking time. Yeah. Time and money are intrinsically fucking tied. They are welded together. And if you're wasting your time, you're wasting your fucking life. Yeah. If you're sitting in your bed and you're going, Man, I should or want to. Oh, I wish I would have just learned how to fucking do you know, manage my diet. Or, gosh, I wish I was a little bit stronger, or healthier, whatever it is. The only thing that's preventing you from doing it is quite literally you. And I've said this. So I said it on on Mark's podcast, right? The first time I was on, he asked, "Oh, why are you hopping on the assault bike?" Or it wasn't an assault bike; it was a, just a bicycle, like a right. stationary bike, an hour every day, right? Doing, I was doing a thousand calories every day. Right. On the bike. Um, and I said it, and it's a flippant statement to say, but it's also not when you start understanding the mindset. How fucking hard is it to do an hour's worth of physical effort a day? 
right? So we have 24 hours in a day. Right. Okay. If you're working 10 hours out of those days, that's a lot. And then you're sleeping for, let's call it eight. Right? eight so now, hopefully, eight, if you're so, lucky. Yeah, yeah. So that means you have six fucking hours of free time. Yeah. Let's do some simple math here. Okay. Now you have kids. So they take up five and a half hours of that extra. You still have a half an hour of damn free time. You can carve it out. It's it's doable. I mean, you have Listen, two kids. I, I run I run a company of two hundred and twenty eight people. Obviously, like it just didn't grow itself overnight. I'm, yeah. I I wish I was that lucky. I wish I just had a golden horseshoe up my ass, and that's why I, I was able to to do these things. They take an immense amount of discipline and dedication in yeah. order to put the appropriate amount of time and habit, and it's. It's time triage, right? Yeah. So for me, I've sacrificed some of the things in my life to grow the company over the last six years, which is, yes, I, I, you know, I put on probably 10 pounds that I'm not like super happy with, but I know that the time that I put in on the company that was directly an exchange on the front end on the, it's an exchange. All it is, is I spent less time on my body, more time on the company I'm trying to balance that scale now, but I also have two little kids. So I had two little kids in the last six years. When people look at my life and you know how lucky it's like, man, I have worked harder in the last six years of my life. Yeah. You know, and granted, I think most people know my past. Like I was a Green Beret. I spent the majority of my adult life overseas well, working. Those just come out of fucking vending machines. They though. just like come out of vending machines. Like <laughs> I know what hard work is. Fuck yeah, and it's excruciatingly difficult to do those things, but there is nothing in my life that has been physically harder than growing this company. Nothing. And I mean, I can see it. It's brutal. There's some days that come in and I'm like, Ooh, Ooh. I'm just going to sit here <laughs> and, and just listen. It's not, just not, it, not be a pain. So I look at people and I say, what the fuck? Like my wife is, she gets irritated with me because I have a saying that continues to go around my house, which is suck it the fuck up. Yeah. Like suck it up. I've heard it's, that. Not even You've in heard house. it before. Not even right? in your house. Everybody's heard it. <laughs> it's like you're feeling down on yourself. You, you know, things aren't going your way. Cry me a fucking river, man. Like I've had, you've had injuries. I've had injuries. I think mine's don't be a bitch. Right? It's like, don't be a bitch. Suck it the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Like get, get a little bit and say, well, I need, I need Jocko's podcast to give me discipline. It's like, you're fucking weak. Shut the fuck up. You're just weak. And I don't know how many times I've heard things where it's like, where I've had these conversations with people. It's like, man, I wish it's like, you know what wishing's for? It's for fucking cartoons, man, because it doesn't work. And, and when people hear us say that, or any of us coming from our background or in this scenario, right? Maybe they think it's heartless, but it's, it's more of like, I'm frustrated that you don't fucking get that. It's that simple. It's that simple. Make a fucking choice. Just like be like, all right, cool. So I'm going to sit down and watch this episode of whatever the shit. Fine. You want to watch that episode? Cool. How about you do some squats also? Or I've told people like, yeah, when I eat, cause so I've had uh, pretty massive ankle injuries and, and hip injuries on both hips. Right. But I'm very, very, very flexible in my hips, my knees, and my ankles now. And people are like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, how'd that happen? Or what kind of PT do you do? I'm like, no, it's not. I made a a choice that for years, years, like three or four years in a row, every time I ate dinner or food, 
by myself or in a scenario that I was outside or something like training at the team, I would sit like a fucking, like that samurai sitting position, right? Or squat like third world squat all the time. And it was really shitty for the first couple of years, but it fixed you. It, fi- <laughs> right. it fixed my hips and it fixed my ankle. Right. And you know what? People ask like, oh, well, you know, or I don't have time for it. Well, if you watched an episode of anything, you have time. Yeah. I, You're I, just not, I, you, I feel, you aren't a priority to yourself. That's fine. I feel like an asshole, like not really, but people are always asking me the last week or so, have you been watching the, the Tiger King or whatever it is? I'm like, dude, my, my, uh, my, my partner was texting me at nine o'clock last night. He's like, Hey man, you want to go through, you want to read this contract? And I was like, man, I barely have enough mental capacity right now to read bedtime stories. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Tapped like I'm out. tapped out. I, by nine o'clock, I'm up at five, typically five thirty, late point five thirty. It's about right. Cause I see the coffee making every morning. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I have a rhythm and a routine to my day. None of my rhythm and my routine in my day exist anywhere near Netflix. It yeah. doesn't even fucking come into my radar. Yeah. I, I don't, it, it's so outside of my habit that it doesn't exist for me. So for me to go out and grab that thing, it's, I have to actively think about it, remind myself. And by the time that I get to it, I'm like, why do I give a fuck? Yeah, right. I, I, I don't care. care. Like we have such a unique opportunity, I think, and even now with with what's happening with social distancing mm-hmm. and COVID, my kids are home yep. all the time. Now, I spend if I'm not at work, I spend time with my kids. Yeah, I mean, you and, said it on Saturday. You're like, this is a dream come true, kind of, kind of for you personally. For like, me, for me personally, for your personal life, is it is it a sacrifice to the business? Are there changes that we have to make? Yeah, absolutely. Are we fortunate to be in the business of coffee? Yes. I love coffee, so it just so happens that, you know, I'm I'm in a perfect position to do what I want the majority of the day, but it still takes discipline. You still have to run your schedule, you still have to run your habits. My day is so habitually ingrained at this point to how I wake up and what I do for the first 2 hours because I know after my first cup of coffee too, I'm the most active intellectually. Yeah. I know that I can solve my greatest problems that I have typically within the first two to three hours every day. Between coffee and food. Exactly. Yeah. So I know what do I have to do? I can't spend my time. What I do is I scroll through my inbox to make sure that I don't have any pressing issues. Mm -hmm. And then I start going through our website. I look at kind of what are the changes that we can make on the UX UI front because Typically, you know, our guys from e-com will start to see things over Slack around 7.30 or 8, depending. Um, and then what I start doing is I start curating what do I need? What are my big movers? And I have it. I literally, what, what's my high value items that I have to start ticking off? If I'm not doing that, I call it time triage. If I'm not doing time triage actively every day, chopping the dead weight out of my schedule, and then executing against the the massive ROIs in my life, return on my investments, I'm not going to have a great relationship with my kids. Well, and the I'm not going to have a successful company. And the important thing to hear is ROI on your life. Yeah. Right? Like people want to know how guys get into positions like you're in or Matt's in or John's in or I'm in where it's like, look, it's been that kind of process. Maybe not 
as well executed as you have, right? So we've all ended up at different points, but depending on how you're executing that kind of ROI for your life is going to determine the end result, right? The, the third order effect of that is stuff like being fit, yeah. eating well, being happy, having a job you like. I always think about, I, I don't know why, it's a little bit morbid, but I always think about my last minute in life. I always think about my last minute. I don't know why. Because I want to think about what am I going to be thinking about? Yeah. And what I want that last minute of my life to be, I already have have my vision statement to what that last minute is. It's got to be, I have a smile on my face knowing I didn't leave one fucking thing on the table. Yeah. My kids are going to know with zero doubt that I love them, that I put every ounce and energy that I could into their lives and making them better and then making them better people. And more importantly, I won't sit there and go, I should have, because yeah. it, it wouldn't be possible. It is not possible for me that. to go at this time in my life yeah. if I were to fucking die tomorrow. Yeah. It is not a possibility for me to think in that last minute that I didn't do everything I could to curate the single best life I wanted. It's not possible for me. Now, if I have 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, 30, 40 years left on the planet, I know what I want to achieve in those, you know, those yeah. years. But there's not been a time since I left government service that I have not been trying to curate what I wanted in that regard. A lot of guys are, and a lot of people, I think, <clears throat> they just want, right? They just wish. They just want. Like, I wish I wish I had a better relationship with my kids. And it's a, I wish I had a better relationship with my partner. I, I wish. I feel it's like, like a, a lot of it is, is the, the logical conclusion, the logical thought process you're going to get from being hyper-involved in either TV, movies, social media, where you're living this voyeuristic yeah. version of reality. And it's like, look, motherfucker, you're living this life too. Yeah. You're here. Don't just be a watcher. Well, that's what they are. Yeah. Right? They're, they're spectators in it. You know, but everybody can be a not spectator. Yeah. Everybody you can, can be, a, to, anybody can be a participant. You can choose to get up off the bench and participate oh, yeah. in yeah. any in 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 your life. The team's any got day. infinite players. <laughs> coach, <laughs> coach, don't have players. to call you it's up. It's not. It's not <laughs> exclude. Like yeah. there, there's not a farm going yeah. on for yeah, the yeah. fucking selection to live an epic life. There's not a farm where they're like, all right, well, if you don't have a you know and that's, forty, and that's that's damn right because yeah, not everybody can be a guy that was an SF. Not everybody can be a team guy. That's just reality. Just reality. Sorry. Sometimes it's time and place. Sometimes it's ability, whatever. Everybody can have a good life if you want it and you choose to pursue it. Yeah. My buddies, like some of my closest friends that I, I truly love and admire, they never served in the military. They don't have yeah. a day of you know, public service under their belt. One of my closest friends, he's been a river guide uh, in you know, the middle fork, you know, Dustin, oh, you yeah. met Dustin. Like he's, that guy's he's, awesome. Yeah. He's fucking rad. Yeah. He spent thousands of days, all the smiles in the middle of the fucking Frank church <laughs> wilderness area, rowing boats in quite literally one of the coolest, most beautiful places on the planet. Yeah. 
he is and some people would look down their nose at it because they're like ah well you just did x and you didn't fulfill the societal agreement of owning a home having a truck you know having 2.5 kids and a dog and it's like yeah have, have you met the guy everybody. yeah it's not for everybody you know it's not for everybody and and nobody's saying that you have to just be a river guide nobody's saying you you have to be an astronaut nobody's saying you have to be anything but a mother but if that's what you want to do do it and enjoy it and do it really well I think that's what it is. I think people, their vision statement for their own lives is polluted by social media and media just in general, right? Because there's this forced ideal. This is where, this is what success is. This is what it looks like. And it's being fed by multiple different streams. You will fit into society because of X. And it's, it's funny. I, I opted out of that whole thing. Uh, really early, Me too. very, 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 very early. Right. So that's, that's probably like, a common denominator you know, amongst all the guys that come out of that special operations community. It super is, easy. Is most of us between the ages of 17 and 21 are like, oh, I don't think so. I'm good. <laughs> the same I'm all for good me. on that. Same same for me, for dog. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because I was wearing Birkenstocks the other day and somebody's like, you were Birkenstocks. I'm like, yeah, they're super comfortable shoes. I think I said, I, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, <laughs> Yeah, suppressors and Birkenstocks, this could be like a, a whole thing that I'm into, right? Where, you know, I, 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 I don't really pay a lot of attention to See, we have a note. what's cool, yeah. you know, because honestly, that's, that's, a, manufactured, that's a manufactured existence yeah. based on uh, uh, marketing and based a bunch of consuming. people that are... It, it is. And a lot of it is based on a false reality of a bunch of people that are really fucking shallow and self-absorbed. Like I have no no desire to to be a Kardashian or anything close to that type of lifestyle, right? Because it's completely built on artificiality. It's it's an artificial existence. Yeah. There's no tangible there's no tangible fulfillment outside of just money. Not even fulfillment. It's your reason for existing at that point is so that you can purchase products and make other people more wealthy. That's why that's why that lane of traffic exists. I completely, I completely agree. Now I do own a company that does market to people, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, <laughs> but it is for me when I say that it's, it's, I, I mean, just listen to what we're saying. Like, yeah. Right. Like we're not coming at it from these shoes are cool. Cause they're cool. Cause I say they're cool. That's why you need to own them. Well, I think right? a lot of people too, like when we look at even, uh, the company of Black Rifle and we say, well, that's just a coffee and it's cool. It's like, well, people don't understand that we're manufacturers. They don't understand that, you know, I take a lot of pride in sourcing the coffees and roasting the coffees. The people that work the people here. people work here. It, it, it's a, it, to be good at marketing is one thing. To be good at marketing and manufacturing is a completely different thing. That's just being a good business. Yeah. Now- when you're just marketing shit products to market a shit product, that's totally different. I've taken that one too, where people are like, well, you just put, you know, veteran owned on stuff. I'm like, well, no, in all actuality, we were one of the first companies to put that out because I wanted people to know what type of a company we were. Yeah. I wanted people to know that we're pro second amendment. I wanted people to know that I'm a conservative. I wanted people to know because what I felt was it was important for the consumer purchasing 
that they knew who they were purchasing from. It's in the fucking name, well, Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's really hard for me to say, well, and I'm it's the re- fucking granola, you know, crunching, tree hugging. And you it's know, reflected I'm in, not. in who works here and how, how the values are shown through the charities that are given out, right? Mm-hmm. And through how the coffee is made, who makes it, who prints the shirts, who does everything everywhere. Right, the values are there, and it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody was in the service because they're not. No, they're not. The 50% but they're all good of the people. company, right? Fifty percent of the company, and I think it's. I think it is one of those things. Not to go off on some type of tangent on that, but I think there's a big difference between people that are just marketing products they have no idea about, and people that are marketing products that are their product. There, this is my product. I yeah. put my name on it. This is. My company, when we look at the company, it's really, you know, it's it's Matt, myself, and, you know, Jared and these guys, you know, they're very much the media side of the business. I'm very much the operational design aspect of the company. And the way that we have a division of labor and this ebb mm-hmm. and flow and how we kind of create the team in what we're trying to do is galvanize these ecosystems between customer and company yeah. There's nothing wrong with creating incredible content to go along with an incredible product. What I've always said is like, if you have an incredible product, you should try to create the greatest marketing component to make sure that it exemplifies what you're creating. If you're not, you're failing. Well, and we talked about this when designing the future and outlook for FRA, right? Right. Like creating an ecosystem with a product that is the people. Mm Mm-hmm. And the things that we're touching, using places we're going, and guys that we're talking to, guys and gals that we're talking to, as the product, right? And then marketing the crap out of it because people deserve that kind of resource and that kind of cool shit to see and they should. be part of and touch. Well, if I was the consumer on the other end, which I am, right? So yeah. before I was roasting coffee for other people, I was roasting coffee for myself. Yeah, I I set off with the goal to create the best drip coffee I could ever roast. For myself, not for other people. I had had no ambitions whatsoever of selling coffee outside of just me and my circle of friends. Mm -hmm. Zero. I just wanted to roast incredible coffee. That was it. And from there, obviously, it's grown. But I think some people, they kind of mistake some of those things. You guys are great at marketing. Yeah, we're great at marketing. We're incredible manufacturers, which... To me, those are just developing different skill sets within yeah. your own business ecosystem that continue to develop over time. If people think we're great marketers now, watch, they, watch they ain't out. seen fucking yeah. nothing yet, bro. They ain't we, seen, I remember seen talking about yet. this in January. Like, you just seen watch nothing. out. Just watch the fuck out. Yeah. Because, you and that, know. And that's going to be reflected here. Did it? At it, the company absolutely. as well as FRA. Yeah. And that's part of the FRA expansion, right? It's like part of this entire thing, which is how do we expand and create media that, you know, inspires the American dream through hard work and adventure. That is the mission statement. Yeah. That's what we're trying to accomplish every day. We're going to inject that back in a living ecosystem that people can participate in either voyeuristically or actually participate in. Right. And I don't want to inspire people when, when I look at this and I look at, you know, you being part of it and, you know, John and Andy and all these fucking incredible people. The cat man. Really just like sucking what's out of our heads because we go out and we're so fucking lucky. Like when we yeah. go hunting with guys like John Barklow, who's designing new equipment and gear for Sidka, holy crap. 
what a fucking phenomenal one. He's a great guy to hang out with because he's super fun. Two, the guy gives us a, a, a shit ton of gear, which is even better, right? But three, like, the guy's, a, he, he's just- Awesome human. He's an awesome human being. You can't help yeah. but be inspired by these people. Love that guy. And I'm, like when we, when we put the list together of people, we're like, who do we want to have on this year? Who do we want to talk to, right? right? That was another pinch, you know, pinch yourself moment where it's like, I can, these aren't like wish list names. Like these are people that yeah. I can call that are in my fucking phone <laughs> yeah. that I can call like, this human. It's crazy. And I could be like, I can hey call man. this human. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> can I have you on this show? Right. And every single one of them, I think I came back that next week. I yeah. was like, yeah, no, they all said they'd do it. They all said they'd do it. Like Mark Twight is a great example of that. I've been a huge Mark fight, Mark, Mark Twight fan for before yeah. he was Jim Jones. So I was telling you that story mm-hmm. where Kiss or Kill Confessions of a Serial Climber. Oh, yeah. Went to his book signing. There's like 20 people in Seattle. He's an epic human. He's incredible. Epic. Incredible person. He's an incredible person. He'll be on the show. Yeah. Like, he'll as be soon on the as show. We can get him on. Yeah. As soon as he's we can get town. him on. He's, he's one of those guys where I think when you look and listen to, you know, if, if, if you're participating in these things, these activities, this whole thing called life, yeah. it's, you know, it used to be a saying like tune out to tune in, right? It's like you got to tune out of yeah. this bullshit just media component that's plugged in on instagram and facebook you gotta plug you gotta unplug from that especially because those things are such echo chambers right like you know if you're watching right-wing news you're you're a person that's getting spun up by right-wing stuff if you're watching left-wing news you're a person that's getting spun up by left-wing stuff because that's how they that's how they draw you in that's how they get you in there because you scream oh shit oh shit and it echoes back yeah shit oh shit oh shit yeah that's not what should be going on and i think that it's cool all the people we're able to involve in this and have on and have people listen to or see is instead of being key holders, we can be door openers yeah. to information. Well, I think that's, that's the big, that's the big thing, which is, you know, FRA and what are we trying to accomplish with this? What are we trying to accomplish with the podcast? It's just providing access to interesting people. Yeah, Trevor's going to be a, a mainstay component. So you can continue to add you know, your personality and what type of value you're creating in your own life is only going to translate directly into what we're doing. So, you know, where can they find you? I think that's a good spot. We can tie this up because we've yeah. been, we're in an hour and some change. So hour and change is where great. it's uh Thompson pair sports. No, nope. or did you change it? I changed it. I made it what easier. Trevor dot P dot Thompson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Trevor. Super simple. P. Just my that's name right. on Instagram. Uh, it links to my website. And links to my photography stuff, which is Thompson Epic. shots yeah. Yeah, on uh, Instagram also. Uh, but uh, just check me out there if you want to see me and I'll be back on FRA's shows as well as some other stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're all over the place. I'm kind of so, all over the place. Yeah. He's all over the place. Uh, so Trevor Thompson, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Obviously, you're Hell here yeah, all the time. So, I mean, we're, we're going to have him on the show a lot more. Uh the next one we're doing is going to be with the founder of TRX. So he'll be on the show for our next episode. Matt, myself, and Jared are going to do another one. Uh, John Dudley is coming up. He's in the shoot again. So John's going to be in one of the shows. We're going to get Andy, a bunch of the guys that are just basically Twite. same ecosystem. Mark Twite. Yep. We've got a laundry list of really, really fucking Super cool, cool episodes. Interesting humans. Yes interesting humans. So thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to FRA.